Barely cold, no school. Some choosing to work from home today to be with the kids. If you have kids old enough, we'll leave them at home. It's not that big of an inconvenience, but certainly we'll be updating you throughout the day on the teachers' actions on this one-day strike. And also, uh, this bitterly cold weather, it's still here. You were just getting out from under the covers thinking... Ah, maybe today's the day. Uh, No, but maybe on the weekend you'll feel a little better with highs of minus 11 to minus 12. Certainly better than what we have right now. Here's uh, here's a moment I've been looking forward to this week. Joining me is my next guest, who was a firefighter for close to 30 years with the Regina Fire Department, uh, Mary Boychek, who has uh, retired and immediately launching a new scholarship for women wishing to pursue a career in firefighting. Marianne is here with me now. Good morning. Hi, Greg. Nice to see you. Uh, how did the door open to firefighting for you, Marianne? Was it something you grew up knowing you wanted to do? I grew up with four older brothers, and I had two parents who were very athletic and, and academic. So we were a very active family. So I knew right away I was going to do a job that was going to be physically demanding. I was adrenaline rush junkie. I loved doing adventures. So I was living in Humboldt in 1989 as an assistant rec director. I was in the kind of the area of recreation and sport at that time. And my apartment burned down and it was quite a, an ex- extensive fire. It was on Main Street and took a good part of the street. They brought me to the street and I was watching the firefighters work as a team and the exhilaration, the adrenaline rush. And I thought, wow, would that be a great job? And then in 1995, I applied to Regina Fire and Protective Services, and I was hired as the first female. And the first female firefighter, and were you surprised that it took that long? Yeah, I actually was. But I think at the same time, it didn't occur to women that it was a job choice because it was very male-dominated. There's always been female firefighters around. Like yeah. when the men went to war, who who ran the communities, who ran the fire departments, there's always been volunteers, but not so much in the paid departments. And throughout my whole career, that's all I wanted to do was empower women to become firefighters. May of last year... With the support of uh, management, particularly Deputy Chief Hewitt, we hosted a women's information session. So they came in and they put the gear on and they cut up cars and they used hose lines and they put on masks and they crawled around like in simulated uh, dark places and they did the dummy drag and they were so empowered. They walked out and whether you wanted to become a firefighter or not, they did something they thought they couldn't do. And they have committed to keep that going. Yeah. No, so that was a great idea. I, I did yeah. hear really good things about that. My neighbor took his daughter to that as well. Why would you want to become a firefighter? What would you tell young ladies listening? Oh, it's such an amazing job. You wear a uniform and with that uniform comes a real pride of serving your community. You work as a team. You keep people safe in your community. So someone could be having their worst day and you're there to help them. But there is that side of it that's very exhilarating when those alarms go off and you're running to the truck and you're getting your gear on and you're thinking ahead to, you know, working hard yeah. and helping somebody. It, there's parts of that job that is are so amazing. But there's so many other parts of it, too. We have public education where we are saving lives before the fire. So we're teaching kids about fire safety. And I can give you many stories of where kids took our, our fire safety training and then when they were trapped in a fire, knew what to Benefit, do. So yeah. they benefited from it and they and lives were saved because of it. And we do have some vulnerable people in our community. So we're there to be compassionate and to help them. Marianne Boychuk is my guest. Almost 30 years in firefighting. <laughs> and uh, was there ever a moment that you look back on as one of the most uh, perhaps dangerous moments of your career? Basement fires were always uh, more difficult fires. When you're on the main floor of a house, you always feel like you have an escape. And then you also, a lot of 
older houses have the smaller windows. So, yeah. and it's, it's easy to kind of get a little bit uh, turned around because of the environment that you're in. Marianne Boychuk is my guest. It and is. now you found a way to give back. You've launched a scholarship. So mm-hmm. tell me about this. Well, education was always regarded very highly in my family. So I thought about a scholarship at some point in my life. And then when Suncrest College approached me to teach at the Fire College, it just made sense to me that this would be the scholarship that I would set up. Because what it does, it removes one of the barriers for women to become firefighters. And it also promotes mm-hmm. women to get into firefighting as a career choice because it's an absolute great career. And we do need some more women in the department to kind of balance out things. And a diversified workplace is a strengthened workplace. Yeah. Can I tell one last little story? Greg? Yes, of so course. I, it was two weeks out of my retirement and I had taken the guys for some McDonald's. We're always in service. And there was a little four-year-old girl there that walked up to me and put her hands on her hips. And she said, I'm going to be a firefighter. And I thought, wow, like it just blew my mind. I talked to her, the guys, we took her out to the truck. We showed her all the stuff. I put her in the seat and she said, I'm going to drive this fire truck someday. Yeah. And it was so amazing. And then as she was walking back into the McDonald's with her family, one of the guys yelled out, see you in 16 years. So to me, for the work that I feel I've done throughout my career trying to empower women to be firefighters, here was a four-year-old who believed that she could, and the guys are ready to have her to be there. That four-year-old might have that scholarship that (laughs) you have uh, graciously (laughs) put forward. What a great story. What a great career. Thank you again so much. Nice being here with you, Greg. Might be some parents working from home today. No school. The strike is on today only. Going to meet out Kevin Martell from the 980 CJME Newsroom. Uh, picketing, I suspect. They'll pick it, won't they? Certainly at the ledge, I would think the it, teachers would be there. Yeah, that sounds like kind of what we're hearing uh, in terms of, you know, they're off the job today. And it has to do with, obviously, the contract dispute with the SAS party. So um, it sounds like for sure. Outside the legislature, we don't have exact times or, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of how many might show up there. But uh, keep your eyes peeled uh, throughout the province because you might see more. Well, I recommend those little, uh, you know, crack them, heat warmers in the mittens yeah, today. This be... extreme cold has not gone away. What do we need to know about uh, just getting around here if your car is frozen? Yeah, so we've called a couple tow companies in our newsroom this morning and uh, three to seven hours. Yeah, seven hours on the, I mean, that's an improvement from yesterday. Now we called and <laughs> they couldn't give us an estimated time. So, hey, we got we got a time now. I mean, you have to be patient uh, seven hours. But we're also talking to Driven Automotive uh, this morning, too, on on some tips. I know you've talked to Jason Mancinelli. Uh, Jason Mancinelli, pardon me, obviously a counselor. And so we were getting tips this morning about, uh, yeah, and as you can imagine, battery is always the big thing. That's always the big thing in the winter when it comes to your car. And they suggest plugging in. Yeah. Plugging in can save you so much hassle potentially. It's not a foolproof system that if you plug in, you're fine. I've also heard of a lot of people over the last couple of days who have plugged in, Greg, but they've still been frozen and they can't turn it over. The battery. The battery always the problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, battery nowadays in our elements, about five years, they say. You have to have a new one uh, before uh, before winter flies, preferably. Did you watch the Bills game yesterday? And did you see, Wild. well, oh, they got up at five in the morning. They had like 400 volunteers yesterday shoving the snow off the field, which looked immaculate. But, $20 an hour they were paying them, yes, by the way. Yes, and food. And they provided the shovel. But by game time, they didn't have enough time. They got the the stairs up and down the sections done, but the rows 
they hardly touched any of them. So fans, 70,000 plus just kind of pushed through snow. I think it was first come, first serve, wherever you want it. It was what they, they they didn't say you sit in your normal seats. They just said sit wherever you want. <laughs> and then every time they celebrated <laughs> something on the field, snow would explode from the stands up in the air. It looked pretty cool. That sounds like a small town team, but in the best respect, yeah. right? Everybody, it's just so close knit in Buffalo, and they've had their fair share of heartaches. Uh, back-to-back-to-back Super Bowl losses. Uh, They want to see their team win, and they'll obviously do it uh, whether it means a meter of snow next to them or not. Well, amazingly, at kickoff, the sun popped out, and it stopped blizzarding, and it was minus 22 degrees, but fans didn't care uh, about that and the wind chill, and it made me think, what's the coldest sporting event I've ever attended? I have a few in mind, but I'll let you go first. Coldest you ever felt watching a sport? It was right here in Regina at Mosaic <laughs> Stadium, the Heritage Classic from a couple of years back when the Jets played the Flames. It was cold. And that now, was in October. It too. was, yeah. Like it wasn't. Uh, I th- I think it was an especially cold October night. Um, I think by day it was something like minus four or five, but then it it did. I was at that game. It and, got and, cold at night. And so the funny thing is, it wouldn't have been like if you would have saw uh, the temperature. Like it wouldn't have been the coldest, but it felt. The coldest, maybe because you're outside for hours of time. And I was layered up. I knew it was going to be cold. I've made that mistake in my youth when, you know, I thought, ah, whatever. Just a light jacket watching a football game in Winnipeg. I'll be fine. And I wasn't. So I I layered up quite quite heftily. And it was still very, very cold. But, hey, the Jets won that game. So that warmed me that up. That made you feel good yeah. in overtime. That was a good game, too. Remember 2013, the Great Cup here, too. Yeah, it was the, chilly. The game wasn't so cold as the week and the days leading up. Oh, I remember nasty. covering outdoor events. Some were canceled. It was, like, wickedly cold. Wind chill minus 30. Temperature minus 20, I think. 2013 Grey Cup was pretty cold, but then I think it warmed up on the actual game. It did, because I was covering the game, and I was outside uh, for a little bit of it around the stadium. And, uh, yeah, it was, again, a good warm feeling at the end of that one, Greg. Okay, what's the coldest sporting event you ever sat through? Text us, 1-877-300-7275. Would love to hear from you. An appropriate song on a day like today, where again the extreme cold warning is upon us. Might it lift by the weekend? Perhaps the long range forecast looks a little bit more promising. Still playing catch up on a lot of uh, delayed and canceled flights. I know at the Regina Airport, the menu there, the arrivals, departures, still some cancellations and delays, but looks a little bit better than it did yesterday. But, uh, I have a friend whose uh, daughter and husband are stuck in Mexico. They were supposed to come out on Saturday. Then uh, it was canceled. Then they tried again Sunday. Then they said, okay, yesterday, they're coming. And uh, in Puerto Vallarta, I believe. Yeah, and nothing. No flight. So they try to book it themselves. They said that anyone who works there at the Sunwing WestJet desk in Mexico seemed to be uh, a little, well, not too forthcoming with information. So it was frustrating. They just called and booked another flight on their own. Then that got canceled. So they're still in Mexico at the airport. 
You got a story like that, a loved one, or perhaps you uh, have uh, just returned. We told you about another couple uh, coming back from uh, the Dominican with Kevin Martell uh, earlier this morning here. But uh, love to hear your stories. one 877 I'm uh, going to escape the cold myself with my kids and uh, a couple weeks from now. And I'm really looking forward to it. And you always feel good about escaping when it gets this cold, but... I don't want it to be this cold if it's going to delay all the flights. What's the coldest sporting event you've ever stood out and enjoyed? one 877 Cup in Saskatoon, 2006. Huskies were in the game, Rachel told me. Said uh, took a little liquid courage to get through that one. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing that. Uh, this discussion... Now at one 877 because Kevin and I were talking about the Bills-Steelers game and how all those fans helped shovel the snow, and then they couldn't get the snow out of the roads. It was like knee to high, uh, waist deep. Fans just plowed through it and stood there anyhow, and every time the Bills did something great, they, uh, they celebrated by throwing snow in the air, and it looked like it was snow fireworks in the stands. It was kind of cool. Bills won the game, of course, too. And it was minus 22 when they kicked off Celsius yesterday. And there was a wind chill as well, too. And it made me think, what are some of the coldest sporting events I've ever sat through? Number one for me is the, the Grey Cup in Winnipeg, 1991. Minus 17. I, the wind chill was so bad, I can't even remember. It was awful. It's still one of the, the coldest Grey Cups, if not the coldest in history, I think. And that's the one where the Argonauts beat the Stamps. Wayne Gretzky, John Candy, Bruce McNall were on the sidelines. I remember John Candy standing there with his coat open, and I'm thinking, are you nuts, man? But that's how he was. That's how he rolled. That's the same game, too. The Rocket Ishmael was the big star, right, for the Argonauts, and he's running down the field for a touchdown, and someone threw a beer can, and it exploded at his feet. It was not me. And uh, I said with Kevin earlier, too, I thought the 2013 Grey Cup game here in Regina, that was pretty cold, especially the few days leading up to it. I know it got a little bit better the day of the game. Oh, another one, too, the tw- uh, 2003 Heritage Classic in Edmonton. That was wicked. Went to Edmonton on his Oiler fan. It was minus 18 at the puck drop, minus 30 uh, wind chill. And I think at the end of that game, Jose Theodore, the goaltender for Montreal, and they beat the Oilers 4-3. He said he was willing to give us two to the Hall of Fame to commemorate how cold it was. What's the coldest sporting event you ever sat through? Maybe something we don't call in. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Here are the prairies. The weather is always something to talk about. And with an extreme cold warning, it is again this morning. And I thought I'd ask you to share what's the coldest sporting event you ever stood outside and watched. And Terry from Esteban just said the West semifinal in 2013 here in Regina. I said that uh, that same year, the Grey Cup, too. But it, it got a little warmer the days prior to that Grey Cup. It was it was ugly. Joining me now, Evan Bray, host of the Evan Bray Show. What uh, What about you? What's I, your- you know, that 95 Grey Cup was freezing cold. I remember I was actually in police college at the time, so I wasn't officially a police officer. And so I was happy because I had season tickets to the riders. I got to go to the game, yeah. whereas all of the officers in Regina were working crowd control <laughs> at the game. That's Baltimore's so, last Yeah, that's last right. Game. Yeah, but that was a cold game. That uh, was a cold game. I was game. there, too. I, I think Brian Adams was, was that the year Brian Adams was the halftime show and he 
had the biggest park on. Yeah, well, I wish. I don't think I was dressed properly for it, <laughs> no. to be honest. No, for sure. Uh, getting lots of uh, great texts here. Eagles concert in 2018, which I think that was in May, wasn't it? It was cool and windy, and it kind of rained at the start of, start of the concert, so you were kind of soaked. I, I do remember a lot of uh, people going to that show thinking, that was fun, but it was super cold by the end of the night. Uh, 1-877-300-7275. 75. Coldest sporting event you ever went to. How about that Bills game yesterday and those fans? Though? <laughs> I loved it. I mean, you know, th- those are fans that clearly uh, live with snow. Like, I could see something like that happening in Saskatchewan as well. They were frolicking. They were playing in the snow. You said something similar in Calgary when you were at a game. Though, yeah, that it was snow. a playoff game. and But the only difference was it, we were sitting in a group of a bunch of Saskatchewan fans and a snowball fight broke up. So security <laughs> came into the stands and it got like it didn't seem quite as playful as what we we saw in Buffalo. I'm sure they warned fans continually yesterday, and we just didn't hear it over television, not to throw snowballs on the field. They were pretty well behaved, though. But how they exploded, right, with uh, snow up in the air every time <laughs> the Bills did something great. It was pre- pretty uh, cool uh, to watch on television. Okay, so teacher strike is underway uh, for one single day. And uh, today, the education minister, Jeremy Cockrell, will join you. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be joining me this morning, and this is the first time I've had the chance to chat with him since the teachers announced their strike. And so I had a good chat with Samantha Beacott on Friday, who's the STF president. You know, here's all of the things that she talked about, a list of things saying they're not doing this, they need to change this. So it's, it's kind of the chance for the government now to talk about why don't they want, want a bargain class size at the bargaining table? And fair enough, if they don't, I've said all along, I don't think it belongs there, but it's an issue that needs to Teachers be looked don't at. don't seem want, to want a budge, though. Well, and uh, that's the thing. I mean, that's what bargaining is. It's about, you know, each side being willing to to give a little bit, to concede a little bit. It doesn't seem like either are. And so, you know, I've got some questions for him in terms of where are we going to go with this? Because strikes... I don't think strikes are going to move the government off their position. I don't think they are either. However, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I actually agree with Murray Wood a little here. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying today. it either. This kind of hurts to say this. <laughs> I, I, I won't lie. But uh, I, I, Murray alluded to the fact that uh, in time, the public loves teachers more. Right. Then I love teachers more than politicians, <laughs> for God's sakes. Uh, I, I'm just saying, I think the pressure, you know, if this continues like this, uh, sooner or later, then, yeah, a lot of moms and dads are going to say, okay, come on, enough of this. But at the same time, you're right, a little give and take has to be on both sides. But, boy, they, they both seem pretty stubborn right now. Yeah, I, I can't help but think there's a way to solve this that, that should be. I'm not going to say it's easy or it's going to be inexpensive, but if both sides are willing to kind of get past themselves and look at, okay, what's in the best interest of our children, of our families, then, I, I mean, the solution's got to be there. All right, someone just texted me. Your wife, as a matter of fact, did you just say you agree with Murray Wood? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jody, I did say that. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, lots of uh, talk about the strike today. Uh, anything fun? You, You're going to have fun with this later today? Well, yesterday, as you talked about on your show, yesterday was Blue Monday. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's there's lots of things that can be done to get past, to bust through the winter blues. So we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about that. We've got an expert coming in. There and, are. Uh, giving giving people greg you find lots of ways you i see a smile on your face daily all right evan bray here at 8 30 